This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. If you have your Bible here today, please turn to James chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. If you are with us last week, we spoke about the unexpected danger of the tongue. Though it is a small part of the body, it has the power within it to allow nations to flourish, but even to bring down nations. We can use it for upbuilding, or we can use it for crushing. And another element to the tongue as well is that we have to be so mindful that we can't always control the consequences once we allow a thing to come out. Once we speak in the heat of anger or look to to really do some harm to someone with our tongue, we can't control the outcome of, of the damage that we've caused or how far and wide that damage will go. This is why in James chapter 3, verse 6, it said, if you, you're reminded, it compares our tongue to being a little spark that can set a whole forest alight. That's all it takes. One tiny spark can set a whole forest alight. And let's read that from verse 6, chapter 3 of James. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell, meaning this thing can come from the devil. It can be used for more of his work rather than the glory of God. And he remind, or he ended last, we ended last week at, uh, around the verse 8, and it's saying, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And the point that we left on was that it must be a dependence upon God to change the way we use our speech. But moving forward today into James chapter 3, verses 9 to 12, let us read along together. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt Uh, Can a salt spring produce fresh water? Who has ever underplayed a situation? Who here, let's give an example. Who here has ever uh, walked into an event or a party and as you walk in and and you begin to say hello to, to those around you, you begin to realize very quickly that you are very much underdressed. You didn't realize the event or the occasion. You underplayed where you were going. You thought it was just a casual uh, meeting amongst friends. But then you get there and you've missed the entire point of the event because you are so underdressed. And um, if that's ever happened to you, you you feel like a leper as you're having to spend the the time there at that that event uh, feeling completely inadequate. Or maybe uh, better yet, if, if you've ever had a deal that's come to you, a good deal, and, and you, you 
really kicked yourself later on uh, because you, you didn't realize at the time just how fortunate you were to have that come along. You didn't realize that you, again, underplayed it or you misjudged that situation. But what about misjudging ourselves as spiritual beings? You know, we, we live in a, on an earth that is, that is just surrounding us with the things of the world. Uh, most of the, the roads that we go on, the buildings that we live in, um, even if you're out in the middle of the bush, generally you're walking along something that a man has made or that is of the earth. Very rarely would we find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere with no paths, no roads, no infrastructure. And so it can be easy to forget that we are spiritual beings. Most importantly, we're meant to be in relationship with God. Yet how easy is it to forget that when you're in the concrete jungle of the cities? You see, there was a man in Luke chapter 12, verse 19. This was a parable of Jesus. And this man was, was very wealthy. He got a grain harvest that was so vast that it was going to last him for the rest of his days. And so he thought he'll just build new silos and, and just pick at the grain, selling it on the market. And, and that'll be enough money for him to carry on the rest of his life. And, and so he was a good example of someone who neglected the fact that he is a spiritual being made to be in relationship with God. And this is what Jesus said of the man in Luke chapter 12, verse 19. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. And so this individual, this rich man said, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But the story goes that that very night, God comes to him and says, you fool, because this night, I require you your soul. What an incredible opportunity missed. What an underplay of a situation. Not only we underdressed walking into a party or maybe just letting a good thing go and not realizing it, but imagine your very soul you have neglected before a holy God, taking more of life's ease, eating, drinking, and being merry, rather than realizing that we are spiritual beings made to be in relationship with God. But we even get kickback from this world, and we see it in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 4, as, as Peter writes for us here. They will say, and this is the world around us, where is this coming, he promised. That's, that's Jesus returning. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And the reference there is, is Noah's flood and, and that, that, no, come on, judgment isn't coming. Nothing ever, ever will go wrong. Things will just carry on as they always have. Um, again, eat, drink, and be merry. And don't get me wrong, non-Christians can be spiritual too. We realize we are. But non-Christians can be spiritual too. Let us uh, consider, though, the origin of their spiritual life. Here I'll ask, is it from heaven or is it of the earth? You see, we would agree that only a madman would continue to draw dust up into his mouth from the earth and expect that that will sustain him. 
that that will somehow feed him. So it is for all who draw their spiritual life outside of their creator. And if we're going to be honest, if we are not drawing our spiritual life from our creator, then there's only one other place it can come from, and that is what he has created. It can be it can be creatures. Uh, we can make uh, into the images of little idols. It can be other human beings. It can be monuments. It can be things that we've made up in our imagination or demons themselves. But all of those things, though though many of them are corrupted now, many of them are laced with sin, especially us and and the demonic forces that are in this world. Though though we can see that that is the source of those things. It is only something by which God has created. It is not coming directly from the source of all creation. I, I guess, again, it would be like attempting to force feed a horse petrol to make it go faster. I mean, it's a ridiculous analogy, but it's sort of what's going on here is that when we draw from that which God has created, and instead of drawing our spiritual life from Him, what we're doing is we're, we're feeding ourselves something that's not meant to be. And just as we were to force, if we were to force feed a horse petrol, we would end up killing the poor creature. And so it is for all who draw their spiritual life outside of God. So yes, those of the world are spiritual, but it is not coming from a source that is nourishing. The creature is not made for the substance, nor are we made to be spiritually nourished by another but God. But yet God encourages all to drink of the living water and to eat of the bread of life without price, which is Christ. But to all who reject this offer, be warned. The things of this earth have no power to save, no power to truly love, and no power to ultimately satisfy. But let's ask ourselves, well, what is it to have a spiritual life with God? If you have your Bibles there again, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, we'd understand well enough if this came before the fall in the garden, God saying wonderful things to Adam and Eve. And maybe that unclean thing that they weren't to touch was the, for them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not unclean in itself, but the disobedience to the command definitely would be an unclean action. But this is not before the fall. These beautiful words of our God making a dwelling among them and walking among them, saying that he will be our God and we shall be his people. These words are said after the fall, that God is promising to tabernacle, to be in the midst of, to live with his people. And should we be surprised by God's love? No. 
God purchased us back from all that we had squandered. But how do we walk with God? Because remember, this is post-fall. This is God dwelling amongst his people after sin had entered the world. And so what do we do as Christians if this is our spiritual life? What do we do as Christians in order to walk with God? Well, the first is very easy. Like any home that we would go to, we must enter through its gate. And that gate is Christ. Christ who gives us our birthright back. He gives us holiness and his righteousness, God's own righteousness, cleansing us of all sin, restoring our brokenness and breaking every barrier that we had between God and even humanity. No more, no more of our own personal guilt. No hesitation, but only open arms loving us as we enter through that gate, which is Christ and our faith laid in him and our repentance of sin brought down at the foot of the cross. And this is how we begin to walk with God is going through the gate. But before we get to the doors of heaven, as it were, we must then walk the road after we've entered through Christ. We walk through the walk down the road towards the doors of heaven. And once we've gone through that gate, what's this road look like? And it is that we walk by the power of the Spirit. We are sealed by Him, empowered by Him to walk through the rest of our life with Christ in our hearts, being a pleasing aroma to God. And so we do it under his strength as we make our way to our final destination, which is into the presence of God through the gates of heaven. So through Christ and then walking by the Spirit. You see, we live by the Spirit of God. And this is the part we can overlook And we also must then go to war against spiritual forces, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. But you might ask now, well, what does this have to do with James chapter 3, verse 9 to 12? And this is it. This is the challenge that I see here in the text. And it's this. Do we undervalue our extraordinary walk with God? Or even do we go as far as to take what is holy and treat it as ordinary? Because if we have God dwelling with us and in us, and we have a life that is to be surrendered and committed to Him, do we take that, our life, His dwelling with us and in us, do we take that as ordinary, but in reality it is very holy? And so we ought not treat it as ordinary. But here, let's read James chapter 3, verse 9, and, and let me know if you catch it, if you catch this this point that I'm making about us not neglecting that we are spiritual beings. Now, here it is. James chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Can we see it there? 
What on earth are we doing using our lips to lift up praise to our holy God? And in the very next breath, we go on cursing and cutting down others made in his image. We could see the example of raising our hands. I love you, God. But then from the very same lips, hateful, treacherous and harmful words are used upon others. But how easily is this forgotten? How easily are we quick to speak, quick to anger and and barely hear at all? Is the opposite of the life that God has called us to, as we saw in James chapter 1. And Jesus even has an indictment against the Pharisees. And it, and it goes along these lines. It says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Also, from the same chapter, Matthew 15 and verse 11, We read, And what goes into someone's mouth, that is food, does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And what is it that we, who have God with us, what what do we have with using defiling words, unclean words, being a people who draw even near with our lips, but from our actions and maybe from our conversations outside of the church or outside of the company of those who believe that that our hearts would be far from God. We neglect the inheritance of being made to commune with God when we do this. And, And that's the indictment. And the point that James is making here is that what, what, What do we have in us that would cause us to want to use our lips as holy vessels to praise God, yet used again at another point in time to curse, belittle, harm, and be hateful? And with our tongue, we must remember this from last week, with our tongue we can so easily defile the royal law and the law of liberty. Remember the example James gave us. He, he, he said, if you want to be a judge and, and be someone who looks down on others, who shows partiality, who, who is prideful in that way, what then are you going to be judged by? Well, you're going to be judged by God's law and God's perfect standard. Because what you're doing as a judge is you are saying, well, okay, I look at people as though I can judge them according to whatever standard of law I have. And so God says, okay, well then, and this is the example from last week, I'll judge you according to my standard that I have, which is the Mosaic law. And so judgment is without mercy for those who have no mercy. But if you're like me and you want to be judged by God's mercy, that law of liberty, that the royal law, that law of love, then we will live by being merciful as Christ was merciful to us, by showing grace as God has shown such immeasurable grace to us. And so I want to be judged by that standard, and so I will live according to that standard myself. Doesn't it make sense? God says, choose the perfect law of perfection, the Mosaic law, and live by that, and I'll judge you by that. Or... Choose the law of liberty and grace and love, but then live 
by that. Whichever you choose and live by is the way in which I will judge you. It's amazing how fair God is. But again, I say, can we so easily forget who is in our midst? And this is half the problem and maybe half the battle being surrounded by a world made by humans, being immersed into economies and commerce and and countries and societies and governments and kingdoms that are all man-made. And we can forget that God walks alongside his people. Unfortunately for those, though, outside of Christ, how they use their tongue is, is really inconsequential. Whether blaspheming or blessing, it's being used outside of its proper scope anyway. That is, it's outside of a relationship with its creator. You see, a bird can fly the great expanse of the earth in all directions, north, south, east, and west. But as for humanity, God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That comes from Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Or maybe there's one criminal who may be more quote-unquote righteous than another criminal, but both will receive the same sentence and, and possibly be put in the same cell together though one is a little more righteous as far as the world is concerned. Yet without Christ, they are both guilty. But even in this analogy to these two prisoners, Christ stands at the open door of the cell, his hand extended, calling them and us to come heavenwards with him where he is. As for Christians, in Christ, our whole body already belongs to God to be used for his glory, including our tongue. Should, and as we see from James chapter 2, verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Of course, he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Of course not, because we belong to God. We can even take this a level deeper as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. It says, and he's talking here about prostitutes, those, those Christians who would, who would hand their bodies over to, to the unclean act of, of sexual immorality. And, and he says, using that as the example, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Did we miss that? Did we see the overarching point that Paul has just made there? To offer ourselves over to a prostitute in such a way is as though we are offering Christ's members, Christ himself, over to that defilement. Now, that he has, though he has no sin in himself, we are so connected to Jesus. We are so inherited and beloved by God and adopted into his family. And it was all done through Christ and his righteousness that dwells within us. That for us to commit ourselves to such a despicable sin, it's as if we are handing him over ourselves to the defilement. God 
forbid never. And is our tongue any different? Our tongue that is meant to be used for the service of Christ and the glory of God, is it meant to be used in a defiling, debaucherous way? Of course not. And the win the enemy gets, and, and, and I'm, I just have to state this quite clearly, the win the enemy gains is when it is able to underplay that fact in our lives. We are spiritual beings made by God for God. You see, we go a deep step further, as I've already said, we live by the Spirit of God and go to war against spiritual forces. But when the enemy underplays these facts, we tend to treat that which is holy, that is God dwelling in us, God with us, we treat what is holy as common. And so James goes on and says, well, can both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? Impossible. It's either fresh water or it's salty water. He moves on, verse 12. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? If I put a fig seed into the ground, I am going to get figs, not olives. Or a grapevine, he goes on. Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's one or the other. We are to use our tongues to glorify God and use our bodies and our lives to glorify God, to be Christ's ambassadors, or we are using it for what it is not intended. And I want to say to those here who may not be saved, who don't have this relationship of God, that they are not yet sons and daughters adopted into God's family. I want to say this to you. Please place your faith in Jesus. Please turn to him now. You have seen from from what God has revealed here in his word, just how significant your life is. That you were made by God for God and that everything you do matters because you were made in his image. And what I mean by matters is that though you're not in a relationship with him, there will be consequence. There will be judgment. We call this hell for those who overlook the fact that they were made for God, yet they defiled their lives, refused Jesus. And like that rich man I gave that example of that, you know, instead of instead of giving his soul up to God, instead of coming to Jesus, what he did was he thought about the here and now. And though his life was good, yours may not even be as good as his. He was wealthy and and happy. And and then God snatched his soul from him and said, today, today we're making a reckoning of your life and everything you've done. And you've squandered the time. You've squandered your life because it was outside of a relationship with me. And there's the clinch. There's the problem. But for us as Christians, moving back to, to, to our responsibility, we all the more should live holy and pleasing to God because God is living in us, dwelling, and also the Spirit of God is empowering us to live for Him. But if we just stop there, we may feel a, a measure of guilt. And that's not the point of this service. Remember, 
We said that no man can control the tongue, this, this restless evil. Finally, in, in the book of James, he's already given us the answer to these problems, to how we can control our tongue, and we must do it by the power of God. But we must do it by asking God for help. James chapter 1, verse 5, ask for wisdom. 6 and to 8, don't be double-minded. Chapter, uh, verse 9 of chapter 1 in James, being humble. Remembering from verse 17 that God is good. Enduring temptation, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 25, don't forget you are in Christ. Remembering that royal law of freedom. Even verse 21, therefore getting rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly accepting the word planted in you, which can save you. And verse 22, don't just listen, but do what the word says. God has given us all help, all provision, in order that we can live a life for him. And guess what? At times we are going to stumble. At times we are going to fail. But if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have a power that Satan cannot take from you. And that is the power to repent. That is the power to restore the broken relationship that we can develop with God over time because of our sin. And we can say, Jesus, please forgive this also. Make my heart soft again. Lord, please draw close to me. I yearn to draw close to you. And he promises that he will draw in once we do this. But to those of my friends who are unsaved, you are yet to experience the love and the joy and the peace of a relationship with God if you have not yet surrendered to Jesus, that, he has, that you accept that he has died for your sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. But there's a final element of wisdom I want to give here, and it ties into what I've just said about a about being able to repent. And if you are a Christian here and you've got your struggles, my encouragement, my exhortation, and even threat today is that you do not hide your sin in the darkness before God. Do not be Judas. Do not scurry away into the night to betray Jesus. But instead, Confess your sins to him. Bring it out into the light. Plead with God that you be rid of this sin once and for all. You see, if we don't do this, it is as if we are trying to stitch the wound closed. But imagine that wound is infected. It's gangrenous. And then the doctor looks at it and instead of cleaning the wound out and then stitching it, we just cover it over, stitch it up, pretend that the outside looks good, but inside things are rotting away. 
Don't do this in your relationship with God. God already knows your sin. He knows where you're at and he knows where where you're going to go as well. And so instead of living in darkness, instead of hiding that which we are doing, bring it forth to God. Plead for mercy. But also with your brothers and sisters, you can plead with them that they would pray with you, that they would hear of the sin in your life and that that they could walk alongside you, treating you as Christ would treat you as you give over your sin to God. Don't be dominated and ruled by sin, but rule over it yourself by the power of the Spirit, the power to repent and the power to plead for help. Because at the end of the day, we must never lose sight of this. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is where it all comes from. This is where our faith and our ability to fight sin and our ability to compress on despite it being hard comes from. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When you see him through all of it through and through, then we know and have confidence that we can endure because he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have made us spiritual beings and that, Lord, it counts, it matters when we use our tongue in an unjust or an evil way. And Lord, it it reminds us today as well that we are not to be people who say that we live by one standard, and that is Christ, but then live as though we are the law to others. Father, we want to exemplify the grace that you have first poured into our hearts. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless us today, that you would give us power to repent of our sin. You would give us power to leave off our sin. Lord, that Jesus would become all in all inside of our lives, Lord, that we would live very carefully, Lord, without how we use our bodies, knowing, God, that, Lord, it is it, it counts because we are made by you, and for you. And for those who do not yet know you, who are not in relationship with you, Lord, I pray that, Lord, just as I know that your son stands at the open jail cell door, Lord, you call all of humanity to come and take from you freely, take your life, Lord, into theirs, that they can be forgiven because of your death upon the cross. And so, Lord, I just ask that you bless our time here, bless, Lord, these people, In Jesus' name, amen.